of the dark, okay? I'm not going to ask if you still are, because some people still are. Now, I grew up in a home where we got, I, I got the basement bedroom, and, uh, and they built it downstairs, and obviously because it's in a basement, and uh, you'd come out of my bedroom, and there was like the laundry room area was to your right, and then you go down a hallway, and there was like another kind of bedroom area, and you'd have to go through that bedroom to get back by the furnace room, but then the furnaces and the water heater and everything was in the back of that room, so you'd, so you'd come out of my room, there'd be a laundry room, you'd have to go through a door into a dark space, and then you'd have to go this way into another door, and you're in a bedroom, and then you'd have to go this way into the furnace room, and when you came in the furnace room, you'd look back here was the corner where the, the furnace and everything was, and it was super dark back there, and you kind of went back around, and uh, so I'm in the basement, and I never really was like afraid of the dark, and one of the things I loved about being in the basement is as a teenager, if you flip the lights off, man, you wouldn't know if it was 6 in the morning or noon. you just sleep. And, uh, and I worked restaurant business since I was 14, so I would get home sometimes. I wouldn't get to bed till 2 in the morning after closing a restaurant and everything. And you'd go down there, and you could sleep, and it would be no issue. But I was down there, and I heard noises occasionally. And one time I heard it, like, so loud that I was sitting in my bed like, all right. My parents are upstairs and on the other end of the house. So I, it's me downstairs alone, and it's me on this end of the house. So I'm like, man, I got to grow up here. Like, because I ain't going to go back to sleep wondering what that noise is. But yet, I'm not going to like, by the time I get up and run over, and as a teenage, young teenage kid, I didn't want to be like, mom, dad, wake up, you know. So I'm like, I got this. So I remember walking back through the door, through the room, into the, and the furnace room is in the back. And it's not like today where you just grab your cell phone and you put your light on. Guess what? When you were 13, when I was 13, nobody had cell phones, okay? When I, when I was a senior in high school, or junior in high school, one person had a cell phone, and it was Eric McLean. And that's because their family had money. And so I was like... Ain't nobody else in high school had a cell phone. It was just that guy. So I'm back there, and it's not like I could just grab my phone and text somebody or turn on a light. I mean, I had to flip the lights on, and I had to walk back into the furnace and look back there by the water heater and everything like that. And, of course, there was nothing there. Just the machine was making a strange noise. But, A, I felt like <sighs> I was a man that day. <laughs> and, B, I could go back and lay my head on that pillow going, it's all good, made a strange noise, and I just went to sleep. That room was so dark, though, I'll tell you. I'm not a sleep, anybody a sleepwalker, anybody ever slept, been a sleepwalker any time in your life? Got a couple of you, all right. So I was never a sleepwalker, but one time I woke up, you were talking about terrified. I woke up, and I'm not joking, when my room was pitch black, it wasn't like Missouri walkout basements. You're in the basement, you're covered, okay? And I woke up, and it was pitch black, and all of a sudden I was like, and I had, you know, I, that's the only time in my, my life I could think about the scripture when they got the Egyptian plague, darkness so, so strong, so thick, it could be felt. That's how I, I felt the darkness. And I'm sitting there, and you wake up out of a sleep, and for some reason I had walked somewhere in my room. I had no idea where I was in that room, and I started going, you know, and you're kind of discombobulated anyway as you wake up out of sleep, and I'm like, okay. I remember telling myself, you're in your room, you're in your room, you're awake, fine, and so I'm like feeling the walls and like trying to, trying to find, and you'd hit walls, and, and I'm like, what? I need to find something that feels familiar, and it was wood paneling down there, and so finally I hit my closet door, and I was like, okay, I'm at my closet door. I've got to somehow turn and make my way back to where this light switch is. And, but you talk about darkness that could be felt and a little bit nerve-wracking, not even necessarily because I'm afraid of the dark, but because I was like, I don't have a clue where I am even. <laughs> so darkness is something that it's still, it can, it can freak people out. And so that's why tonight I just want to talk to you a little bit about being afraid of the dark. Now we're not going to just talk just about darkness, 
the literal light, but I want to look at this. One doctor said fears and phobias in children are actually very common. As a child grows, so too does their imagination. In the initial stages of imaginative development, children can often have difficulty distinguishing between what is real and what is imaginary. This is what forms the basis of many of these fears. And folks, let me take a brief reminder. I just pause to say this. I've said this before. I'll say it again. In addition to spiritual reasons, these things, uh, this is another reason why we have to be guarding our eyes because our eyes are these windows to our soul and we're letting things in by things, images that we watch that impact our thoughts and our feelings and not only ours, but our children. And so we have to guard the eyes of our children. And that's why I'll say it again. I, I, will, I will never understand how Christian families could ever justify watching horror movies. Now, if you're here and you do this, if you're watching online and you do that, like, I don't even know. So I'm not coming at anybody. But I am coming at that general person. If you're watching horror movies, I don't know how in your mind you can justify that God would be okay with that. I mean, I, I just... And then we're exposing our children to these images that we say, oh, it's just, it's, it's just a joke. And, and these kids are struggling with what's real and what's imaginary. Brain's not fully developed. So then we put them to bed and we say, they're not to be afraid of. Go to sleep. You just watched a movie with, I don't even know, I mean, like these dolls coming to life and guys with scissors for hands and People that carry butcher knives and wear masks and like, and then you tell our kids, just go to bed. There's nothing to be afraid about. There's a spirit that comes along with that. This doctor in this article I read talked about how horror movies and images play a role in a child's fear of the dark. Now, why is that? I don't know. Maybe they're making them now. Society can be kind of crazy, but... From what I remember when I saw a horror movie years and years and years ago is they don't really make horror movies in, like, the daytime with the sun shining. I mean, like, typically it's bad things happen after dark, and that's when the bad people come out, and, and people make really dumb decisions in those movies anyway. But she goes on to say nyctophobia is one of the most common childhood phobias. It's thought to stem from the decreased visual input we experience in the dark, leading to overactivity of other senses such as sound and touch. Think about when you watch a horror movie. Again, it's not in broad daylight. Not only is the movie setting not in broad daylight, but you don't typically invite your friends over at 10 in the morning and be like, hey, you want to watch horror movies with me today? You know what I'm saying? And I'm talking about the general world. This is typically a nighttime thing, a dark thing. The setting in the movie is dark. This is the world that we live in. And so um, when we say, well, this is just for fun, and they, they, this doesn't really mean anything. These are just actors. This is, this is, this is what our children are seeing. Hopefully, hopefully none of our children. But if you're here watching horror movies, I pray you feel a little conviction right now. So she goes on to say, this can trigger an imaginative response in children leading to anxiety and fear. It will often start around three to four years of age and then resolve as a child grows into an adult. A small number of children do not outgrow this fear. It persists into adolescence and into adulthood and can become debilitating. Now, again, I'm not trying to make anybody cry or about your childhood, but you could imagine if you grow into your teenage years and, like, some guy you're going over for a sleepover, you guys going to play basketball, you're 14 years old, and you're like, hey, can we leave the light on because I'm afraid of the dark. That's probably not going to go well with your buddies as a 14, 15-year-old. But people, there are people out there that still have a fear of the dark. And so um, it can be debilitating, she says. The reason for this can vary and be often multifactorial. One contributing factor, however, is if the parents are also have a fear of the dark, expressing this fear in front of your children can reinforce this behavior and lead them to a phobia, having them persist. So if you are afraid of the dark as an adult, don't talk to your kids about it because you're building that phobia in them too, okay? Now, I know we might chuckle, we might smile because 
most likely based on statistics alone, there are probably not very many adults that are still afraid of the dark. All right? Not only are there adults who are, are, are not really afraid of the dark, but, but there, I will say that there are some, but there are also Christians who are afraid of the dark. Now, I know I just transitioned there, and you're like, what are we talking about? I'm, not, I'm no longer talking about just the unlit room. I'm talking about the darkness in society. Sometimes fear of the dark seems irrational. You're like, why are you afraid? Especially once you become adult. We have to be like kind and compassionate to our kids. There's been times my kids have been afraid of something, and I've tried everything. I've tried like the, come here, you can sit by me. It's okay. Tell me about your feelings. There's times where I might walk in and say, where did you hear the noise? It's in the closet. Okay, let's go. Let's open the closet. Nope, nothing's in here. We're good. And sometimes it's like the third or fourth time, and you're still trying to be a patient parent, but you're really tired, and you want to go to sleep. And they've come in four times, and you're just like, do you need me to grab a handgun, and we'll go, we'll go see if there's anything in there? Will that make you feel better? I mean, like, th- th- for them, though, it's irrational. We are thinking rational, going, what is wrong with this kid? I've already looked in the closet three times with them. But yet, they're irrational sometimes. That's why we can't watch a horror movie, not just a horror movie, really, a lot of different movies that fall, that, 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 that build fear in a child, and then we say, just let it go. It's not a real thing. They can't do that. But yet it's the same thing in society sometimes. We look around at things that are happening, and we have a fear of the dark. We have a fear of the darkness that is surrounding us. And so sometimes we're scared for our kids in the society in which they will grow up. Scared for the church, whether our message is still relevant. Scared for government, it just seems like they're not standing for biblical values and afraid of the dark. And so look at the beginning of time, though. You go to the book of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness, darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. I just looked down for that, and it wasn't there. That was awesome. Well-timed. I have to work on staying hydrated when you live in a house that's 96 degrees, and your AC goes out, it kind of dehydrates you, so stay hydrated, folks. And so, God says, let there be light, and there's light. The story of creation, we probably have heard it, know it, but maybe you don't think through this. The story of creation begins with darkness. The whole story of human history, the whole story of the Bible, everything starts with, hey, and here we go. In the beginning, there was darkness. But God immediately gives perspective for the rest of human history in Genesis, throughout the Old Testament, the New Testament, in 2022, all throughout to where we are today and even in the future. When God steps on the scene and the first thing we read about in Scripture is, hey, everything was, there was darkness, but God immediately steps in. The Spirit of God moves and immediately God overcomes darkness with light. And that sets a tone for the rest of the whole scripture and human history to know that any time God wants, he can step in and he can overtake darkness with light at any moment. Scripture tells us that we are the light of the world. Matthew 5, 14 through 16 says, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand. Think about your dull lit room. You don't say, honey, guess what? I just picked up this lamp from Hobby Lobby. And then you're like, I think a good place for it is to plug it in and slide it underneath the bed. 
No, that sounds crazy. You put it on a stand, it gives a light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so everyone will praise your heavenly Father. And if you and I have light, he says, I'm the light of the world, now you're the light of the world, but here, if we're, if we're the light, it says John 1, 4 through 5, it says, the word gave light to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. <laughs> so you see this. He says, I'm the light. I'm going to come bring light to the world. You're going to be the light. And when the light's shining, no darkness can extinguish light. Darkness is simply the absence of light. And so when you flip a switch on in a light and a dark room, instantly, if the electricity is working like it should be, instantly light overcomes darkness. Okay? So if the room is still darker than you like, that's when you might head to Hobby Lobby and buy yourself another lamp, but not a lamp that you'll put under the bed. It's a functional lamp. Stuff's supposed to be functional, right? If you have a piece of furniture in your house that's not functional, you should get rid of it, right? I'm sliding that in there for my wife that loves a clock that we've moved to multiple houses that has been broken and has not worked in years, and it says the same time. It's right two times a day. And I'm like, I can buy you a new clock, but this clock's pretty, but there's got to be another pretty clock in the world somewhere. See, if you say, well, you know what? It's still not dark. It's still too dark. I, I still want it lighter. Well, then I'm going to get brighter bulbs. I want to put in light that has more power. And if that's still not enough, then I'm going to bring more light into the room to help light the, the room even further, even more. That principle still works in our world. If, if, if it's too dark, maybe you got to tap into the power more. And if it's still just not overcoming the darkness, maybe you got to get some more light around you so that there's strength in the number of lamps in the room. Light overcomes darkness. John 12, 35 and 36, Jesus replied, my light will shine for you just a little longer. Walk in the light while you can so the darkness will not overtake you. Those who walk in the darkness cannot see where they are going. And I know that for a fact. When I told you that story, and I woke up in the back of my room trying to go, what in the, I can't even figure out where I am and what I'm doing. I needed light. Put your trust in the light, verse 36, and while there is still time, you will become children of the light. After saying these things, Jesus went away and was hidden from them. Jesus warned in this passage, he warned about darkness overtaking you. This is why I continue to preach messages about pursuing Jesus Christ. There is no such thing in Scripture, a principle of eternal security or once saved, always saved. I went ahead and did the checklist. I followed that plan, and I'm good now. I'm, I'm in. I can do whatever I want because I did that one, two, three things that I was supposed to do, and now I am saved. It's not what I read in Scripture. It says things like, he that doeth, E-T-H, he that continueth, E-T-H, he that remains steadfast to the end. The Scripture is just jam-packed with us continuing on this journey, continuing to pursue Jesus Christ. And so then we read a passage like this where Jesus is warning his followers. He says, hey, don't let darkness overtake you. Does this mean Jesus is afraid of the dark? If you just read this at face value, you might look at that and go, okay, man, Jesus was really, really scared of the darkness that was surrounding them at that time. I mean, look, just the fear is just, it's just, it's just bleeding out of his words. He's not afraid of it. He simply looks at believers, people who should be walking in light, and he's saying, be careful. Be careful, my followers, that that the, the darkness that surrounds you, you have to make sure that that does not overtake you. Like I touched on on Sunday for Father's Day is we're living in a world where sometimes we say, well, I'm going to go influence the world and I'm going to go here and I'm going to work here and I'm going to go to school here and I'm going to do this and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get this job and I'm going to do these things because I want to make a difference. And that's wonderful. That's admirable. But be careful that people say this sometimes in romantic relationships too. 
I'm going to start dating this person because then I can bring that person into church. What often, what typically happens is 100% of the time somebody's influencing someone. And you think about where the influence is. is. Is it easier to walk away from the life of commitment and consecration to blend in? Or is it easier to walk away from the world's values and system and go toward commitment and consecration? It does happen. It's not impossible. But it's not probable. Typically, what you will find is the influence comes the other way. And so that's why Scripture will say things like, hey, don't be unequally yoked. Because, why? Because Paul knew. He, God inspired him to write this because it's very difficult to do that. So we have to make sure that it, am I influencing the world or is the world influencing me? Not just in romantic relationships, in anything. Anywhere we go, anything we do. And so Jesus, he's not afraid of the dark here. When he says, be careful, don't walk in darkness. God had already proved at the beginning of time that he has dominion over literal and spiritual darkness. But Jesus was making his followers aware that the darkness did surround them. Just like Pastor Foster preached last Wednesday and did a great job. And he talked about the, the rising power of the beast. Pastor Foster was not standing up here and saying that because he didn't sleep the three nights prior because he's so scared of the beast. He stood up here and he said that with passion and he, and he warned us and he talked to us about where we're living and what we need to be doing, not because he's afraid, not because he thinks that God's going to let us down at some point, but simply because he says you're walking in light, but darkness surrounds you. And the minute that you start to think, look at what Paul says, he says, take heed, lest I, I don't, I don't want to be myself a castaway. I don't want to be just walking and like, man, the light's so great. The light's so great. We start closing our eyes and ignoring everything else that one day we open our eyes and go, where'd the light go? And so the moment you think that darkness is not a big deal and you're not aware of darkness, your light can start to fade. And before you know it, you can be living in darkness once again. Does that mean tonight that you have to be afraid of the darkness? No. But you have to be aware of the darkness. If you're the one carrying the light, if you're not careful, you just think, I got the light, I've always had the light, I'm always going to have the light. It's just Ben had the light all the time, and I don't, I don't even need to worry about it. Well, that's like the person that has electricity in the house and says, I got electricity, I always had electricity, I don't need to pay the light bill. Well, guess what? you won't have electricity long. And so we have to go, okay, I have the light. I'm walking in the light, but I have to be aware of the darkness. And I know that there's nothing the enemy would like more than for the darkness to overtake me. And that's where sometimes in religion, people will say things like, once saved, always saved, eternal security. It sounds like an incredible idea. Like, hey, I live for God. I committed to God once. But if I'm not continuing to commit to God, I'm not walking in the light. I experience the light, but I'm not walking in the light. And there's a big difference. I think everybody here, you probably experienced the light of Christ. You've experienced the light of salvation. People watching online, no doubt, you've followed his plan for salvation. And, and you're like, wow, I've tasted the light. But how many times have we known people? And it's heartbreaking they, because darkness overtakes them once again. Why? It's because they stopped walking in the light. But darkness never has authority or power over a child of God who walks in the light. I want you to hear me say that. Darkness is all around. But you don't have to be afraid of the dark. Darkness never has authority over or power over a child of God. The only way we return to darkness is this. Very simple. Darkness overtakes us when we stop walking in the light. You speak to anybody. People typically, when they walk away from Christ, they will not be candid with you. Be like, yeah, you know, I did this. And they just kind of disappear. Sometimes they'll talk about newfound freedoms. But if you talk, if you, if you watch the plight, what happens is you never just go from walking in the light and experiencing God to all of a sudden walking in darkness. It doesn't happen. What happens is the things that you did that got you exposed to the light 
little by little, you stop doing those things one at a time. Now, I'm talking on Wednesday night. Not a ton of guests here. Not a ton of fringe members here. I'm talking to the core of the church here tonight. Often that's what Wednesdays are. I'll tell you, too, I, 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 man, there's times I love, I love Wednesday nights more than Sunday sometimes. Because this right here is where the teaching comes to be the Christians God's called us to be. And I feel the power of God right now. That little things that you might say, eh, it's, it's not that big of a deal. But you could sit through a service. Instead of embracing the word of God, you look on your phone. When the altar call opens up. You used to approach the altar, but you no longer do. In worship, I used to stand with my hands raised, but now I'm tired and I don't. I used to serve in a ministry, but slowly I stepped out of all of them. And now you say one of those things, my Lord, you're saying I'm backslid, I've left the church because I looked at my phone when you preached one time, or because I stopped serving in ministries, or because I didn't come to the altar today, or because I didn't stand and raise my hands. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is the things that got you exposed to the light. And that's what's the tricky part is because you can, you can sit and argue with everybody over that one little thing. That's not that big of a deal. Neither's that. That's not that big of a deal. It's not a huge thing. There's no need to worry about me. I'm fine. It's not a huge thing. I'm just busy. I just... To where all of a sudden, it's not over there anymore. Now, you're over here. You know what? You get used to living there. But you can actually get to the place where I'm not even, I don't even realize I'm, I'm not in the light anymore. That's why church, that's why somebody like the Apostle Paul could talk. You read that and you're like, come on, Paul, what's wrong with you, dude? Like, if anybody was not going to backslide, it's Paul. And you got this guy saying, lest I become a castaway, take heed lest I fall. And you're like, Paul, I, I think you're good, man. <laughs> I don't think you need to stress. You, like, wrote most of the New Testament, started churches all over. I think you're all right. But that's how church leaders fall. No Sunday school teachers fall. That's how praise team members fall. That's how solid saints who've walked with God fall. And you're just like, man, I've walked in the light so long. Man, I can go nowhere. But if little by little I start to stop the personal spiritual disciplines that got me into the light. It'll, it won't be, be long before it's so dark that you're wandering around your room. Man, I know there's a light switch in here somewhere. Church, that's a warning to us. To every believer that thinks you are so strong, you've come so far, that's awesome. But the way you got so strong and came so far was because you were committed to this. You were wholeheartedly sold out to truth and everything that came along with truth. Chances are when you found truth, you would have been at the church six days a week if someone asked you to. The people who say, you're asking a little bit too much, are not usually the new believers. It's usually the seasoned saints who've walked in the light for a really long time. It's not typically a brand new person on a Wednesday that would ever sit and look at their phone while I'm talking. 
If that's ever going to happen, it's going to be the seasoned veteran. You see, these are the th- and don't worry, I'm not even coming at anybody. I, I don't see anybody's phone. I know some of you take notes. I'm not, I'm not knocking anybody. Don't take it personal. It gets tense in here. People are like, whoa, who's he talking about? Yeah, like, in a second, I'm going to look over my right shoulder. You look over your left, and let's see if we can figure out who it is. Not the case. But you see, if we're not careful, little by little, we give up the things that brought us into the life. So if I could give you a piece of advice tonight, it's this. Don't fear darkness. Just focus on staying in the light. <laughs> you don't have to go, I'm just so scared. What if I lose my salvation? What if my kids lose their salvation in this world that we're living in? The government is so, oh, I don't need to walk like that. I need to just tell me and tell my kids, listen. The darker the night, the brighter the light. We keep walking in the light. We embrace the light. We stay prayed up, fast, and reading the words, serving, connected to the body of Christ. We are gonna, we are gonna carry this light. We're gonna light up a dark world. Don't ever be afraid. Don't ever be afraid. When revelation comes, we have to believe if we refuse, light disappears. You see Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. It says, nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. Now stop there. Don't put verse 2 up yet. That's already up. All right. So, actually, no, it's not good. Well done. The geographic location, now we might read this and say, okay, but to understand the background, the geographic location of the tribes of Zebulun and Naphtali indicates that the author is referring to the northern part of Galilee. Now, the area of Israel, this is the area of Israel that was first humbled by foreign military invasions and the region most influenced by foreign cultures and religions. You're not, he's not writing to a powerhouse church. These, this is the northern part, the most impacted by foreign religions, foreign cultures, foreign cultures. It, although unspecified in this verse, Isaiah may refer to gloom caused by recent invasions by the Assyrians. History points to the Syro-Ephraimite War, and so there's some things going on around this time frame that he might have even been specifically referring to that. But these verses surprisingly predict that the least likely area of Israel, which is this area, the far northern section that was the most militarily oppressed and most influenced by pagans will in some way be honored by God when he sends a new light in the future. Because then in verse 2, he says, the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. This was a prophetic word for Naphtali and... uh, and for Zebulun. But I also believe it is a prophetic word for the United States of America. In 9-2, the actual po- poetic royal birth announcement begins. Isaiah has the most messianic prophecies, most prophecies about the coming Christ, the coming Messiah. At this point, the light is not identified. But it's certainly a sign of hope, a sign of deliverance. If you're in Naphtali and Zebulun, you're going, wait, when? What? This is... Ah, this is great, great news. We've been militarily oppressed. The light was a sign that God had not yet completely given up on his people. And if you're here watching online, hear me when I say God has not completely given up on you. Because you later, you go to the New Testament, and make, it makes clear what that light was in Isaiah. Matthew 4, 12, it says, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he left Judea and returned to Galilee. He went first to Nazareth and then left there and moved to Capernaum beside the Sea of Galilee in the region of, read it with me, Zebulun and Naphtali. Huh. Well, we read about that a little. Hang on, let's see what they said. 
in Matthew says, this fulfilled what God spoke through the prophet Isaiah. And he begins to quote it, in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, beside the sea beyond the Jordan River in Galilee, where so many Gentiles live, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And for those who lived in the land where death cast its shadow, a light has shined. And from then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn toward God. The kingdom of heaven is near. Jake, this what Isaiah might not have even known possibly, but he's saying, I'm telling you, there's a light that's coming to this area. I don't care if you're militarily oppressed. I don't care if you're living a pagan lifestyle and you walked away from God. He's not done with you. And at some point, a light of hope is going to shine again in the midst of this darkness. Jesus steps on the scene and he walks into this region where there was all this darkness and all this sin and all this oppression. He says, hey, I'm here, Matthew says, Jesus did this to fulfill, and Jesus begin to, begins to quote what the prophet Isaiah said. Why? Because Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of that prophecy that hope was coming once again to that region. You see, and so there, even if you're surrounded by darkness, he comes out and says, you don't need to be afraid of darkness, the light is here. When someone's surrounded by darkness, they're often drawn to the light. So let your light so shine. Because even if that person in darkness is not interested in, in, in your light, they will know exactly where to find it when they get sick of living in darkness. Look how Jesus identifies himself at one point. John 8, 12, he says, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you don't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. When Jesus reached to us, it's, not, it's, not, it's an invitation. It's an invitation. Yes, it's a command, but he's never going to force himself. And so he says, hey, you're walking in darkness right now, but you don't need to. And when it comes to the time for God to get a hold of Saul, who's known later as the Apostle Paul, guess how God gets a hold of him in Acts 9. As he's approaching Damascus on his mission, a light from heaven shines down on him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Immediately Saul knows I'm interacting with God. And the voice says... I am not the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. That voice of God that Paul just said, I can't, Saul just said, I can't see you, but God, you're there. God identifies himself by name as Jesus. That's another revelation of the oneness of God in Christ. That is not co-equal, co-eternal, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God, the Father, is Jesus, the Son, and he calls himself by name, Jesus. He says, now get up and go to the city that I'm telling you to go preach. And, and so he identifies himself and calls, calls to him. And, and when it comes to light and darkness, when someone sees the light in us, it will lead to a revelation of who Jesus is, just like it did here. And when it comes to light and darkness, we will, re, we will embrace one and shun the other. People have tried many times. To walk in both. I do certain things in the day, certain things in the night. I do certain things on the weekends, Sunday mornings, and then certain things Friday nights. Like, so people try to walk in both sometimes. We cannot live in both. When the sun comes up, it overtakes the darkness little by little. Darkness is simply the absence of light. So you cannot have both darkness and light at the same time. Light as it comes in, it exposes the dark corners of our hearts. And what happens is when we expose the dark corners of our hearts, we either have to just hope the light doesn't go there, we pretend that they don't exist, or we have to light them up big and bright and say, let me go ahead and get that nasty dirt and junk out of that corner because I don't want it hiding there. Shine a light. If there's things that are happening in your heart, in your, heart, in your home, in your spirit, shine a light on it. Humanity will tell you, you got to hide it. Nobody's going to care. You'll lose everything. You've got you to hide it. You can't, you can't expose that. Nobody would look at you the same. You've got to try and see if you can just deal with it. You can't, you can't make that known. That's not God speaking. 
God will shine a light on things to expose them and bring change. That's why right after he says, I'm the light, next thing he says is, I'm going to start preaching a message. And what's that message? Repent. Repent. John 3, 19, and the judgment is based on this fact. There's a powerful passage here, and I'm almost done. God's light came into the world. This is right after John 3, 16. God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. Who's that? Whoa. Yes, what a, what a great passage. And it is. Just verses later, he says, the judgment, not whoa. What just happened? I don't ever see John 3, 19 at football games. It's John 3, 16. That's love. This is judgment just three verses later. Based on this fact, God's light came into the world. But people loved darkness more than the light. You ever see that? How bad that has to break God's heart to say, I brought you light. I say, you don't have to walk in darkness. You can walk in the light. And there's a lot of people that say, no, I actually kind of enjoy darkness. That comes with commitment and consecration, lifestyle change. I just, eh. Thank you for the invitation to light, but I really like darkness. Scripture says it's going to happen. In verse 20, it says, all who do evil hate the light. That's why it's interesting. You'll read Ahab, you'll look at Elisha and go, my enemy the preacher. Why? Because when someone embraces darkness, even the preacher who exposes the light is often the first person that someone cuts off. Because we, as a preacher, as a man or woman of God, if anybody should be reflecting light, it should be that voice of, of, of the Lord. And for some reason, he's choosing, chosen the foolishness of preaching. And so when someone says, no, I'm, 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 I'm turning, I'm shunning light, I'm looking into darkness, the preacher's often the person who becomes the enemy or the first person to get cut off. He says, all who do evil hate the light. They refuse to go near it for fear that their sins will be exposed. I mean, it's, it's amazing to me that John wrote this thousands of years ago. And I'm reading this going, holy cow, this is happening in 2022. They don't want to go near the light. They get exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see they are doing what God wants. Listen, there are some people in this world who will avoid you. They will, they will literally avoid you. People on your job, people who have left the church, they'll, they'll avoid you. It's not because they hate you or you even have done something wrong. It's because your light is shining. And when they're around you, even if you're being loving and kind, non-judgmental, I mean, like, they will avoid you because they feel something. They feel the things of their heart being exposed by the light. But when they're hungry for God, they come looking for the light. And that's why a lot of churches now will just kind of stay away from preaching commitment and consecration. Because more people will come if they leave each time the gathering happens feeling really good about themselves. And I pray that we do feel good about ourselves when we leave. But like I said on Sunday, there will be times where God says, hey, I'm the light of the world. And the next words out of his mouth are, repent. That's not a harsh God. That is a merciful God that is going, I've come to light up 
the dark things of your heart. Those don't need to stay there. All you got to do is just repent. And that's where somebody either says, yes, what hinders me? Or my enemy, the preacher. You see, certainly, as I close, darkness is all around us right now. There's no way to spin that. It's, there's darkness everywhere. Things seem bleak and hopeless at times. There's an attack on everything we believe and stand for. A news article just came out of a Texas school. Texas, of all places, shocking. A Texas school district that is banning girls from wearing skirts in their school district. Now, as a church that believes in long, flowing garments, you're not going to take that from us. But just know that as the times go on, the battle increases. Of all the things you could name, there's a spiritual attack on the church. And those in legislation might not even fully understand that they're attacking the church. But there's an attack. And the things that we stand for and against, people say, well, you're against that person, that walk of life, that sin. No, I'm for Scripture. I'm not against any person. I am for Scripture. And so you might look around and go, it's just so bleak, it's so hopeless, it's so dark. You don't have to be afraid of the dark. Don't ever be afraid of the dark. Be aware of the dark. Don't be afraid of it. Your kids are going to carry the light. You don't have to be afraid of the dark on their behalf. Your children are powerful. But we have to teach them Here's darkness. Don't just ignore the darkness. Then they grow up thinking, well, it's just all normal. The darkness is normal. You can say, this right here is darkness. This is not the will of God. This is not correct. But let's take a look at Scripture, and you walk into the darkness and go light your world up. And we have to work with them and teach them. Because let me remind you, he started this world off by overcoming darkness. The very first thing he does. Darkness was on the deep. And the Spirit of God moved. Let there be light. Instantly, we have a message in Scripture that at any moment, God, as light, overcomes darkness. But then he says, I'm the light of the world. And then he promised you his Spirit. And then he says, you will be the light of the world. And so tonight, as you stand to your feet, you look around, and we could come up with a list of the things that bother us, concern us, make us anxious, things that aren't going real well, and that vote happened, and this happened, and this principle, and this guideline, and this, and we can come up with all these lists, and society, and violence, and, and, and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, I'm inviting a group of people to an altar to say, God, first and foremost, expose the parts of my heart that need to be exposed. And I'm going to talk more about this on Sunday. There's been a stirring in my spirit about the day and age we live, which we live and about the church being ready. God, expose the things, the dark corners. Don't let there be light just here and then there's darkness in the corners. Expose the things that need to change. And as you are the light of the world, you called me to repentance. God help me. And secondly, Lord, now that the light is right here, help me to be aware of the darkness, not afraid of it. But as I walk to do just what you called me to do, and that is to go, not in a prideful way, not in a puffed out, no, but in a, I'm going to let my light so shine. So that anybody around me, I'm not going to force them. I'm not going to go up to somebody and be like, no, you're in the dark. You're in the dark. You're in the dark. You know, let me, light, let me light your world. Let me light your world. You're in the dark. You're in the dark. No. 
But when you're ready, you know where to find light. And so I'm praying for two things specifically tonight. That those of us that have dark corners, that the light would expose it and we would do what we need to do to get that right. And number two, that the church who is called to be a light in this world would take that more serious right now than ever before in human history. You, there's darkness around you. You, it's not somebody else. I hope she does, he does. Maybe I'll bring him to church. Somebody else will light that. No, you are called to light up the world that you interact in. It is you. I don't work where you work. I don't live on the street you live on. I don't shop at all the same locations. God has called you to light your job, to light your world, to light your street, to light the restaurants you go to, to light the area by your neighbors, your family members, your, co your co-workers. God's called you and your light to go into that dark area. Let's find a place to pray tonight, Jesus. God, help us to take this message. Lord, to not be afraid of the darkness around us. Certainly, we probably would set things up a little bit differently. But you know, God, and where there's darkness, there are people looking for light. Not everyone's looking for light right now. But there are people in every one of our worlds right now who are looking for light. God, help us. Help us to be the light that you're calling us to be, Jesus. Oh, God.